Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We're starting a new sermon series today called The Pilgrim's Progress. Has anyone read the book? No? So we're just going to read the book. Every Sunday we're just going to read a chapter of the book. Is that all right? James is laughing because he knows I'm joking, but the rest of you are like, okay, that's okay, thank you. The book was written in 1678 by John Bunyan when he was in prison, and it's a story of a man called Christian going from the city of destruction to the celestial city, and on the way he meets all these different characters, and it's an allegory of the Christian life. That's what the Pilgrim's Progress book is. And I felt the Lord prompted us to look at four allegories in the Bible that give the whole of our Christian life in one story. So normally we pick an aspect, a verse, a a part of our Christian life and we focus on that. But I believe the Lord wants us to look at the big picture. So every week we're going to look at a different allegory of our Christian life. Uh, from beginning to end, a bit like Pilgrim's Progress, and we're not going to read the book, we're just going to read the book, the Bible. Is that all good? Happy with that. So the first allegory comes, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. That's the Greek word typos, which means a pattern or a, a picture as examples, and they were written down for our admonition, or our help, or our warning, or our encouragement. They were written down for us, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what are all these things, and who are them that it's talking about? In the preceding verses, it talks about the Israelite nation. So I don't know if you know about this, but the Israelites, as a nation, the nation of Israel, spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt, they went down there when Joseph went down, but then they stayed and they stayed and they grew and they multiplied until there were millions of them, at least a million of them, but they were the slave laborers of Egypt. And 400 years later, how many of us know that when you've been doing something for 400 years, it gets ingrained into your thinking and into your life patterns? And they were through and through slaves. They got up every day. They didn't decide what they were going to do or how they were going to do it. They were told what to do. There was someone with a whip hitting them on the back if they didn't work hard enough. They had no freedom of choice. They got all their their food and drink and everything they needed. They had lodgings and they would have a normal life. They would meet people and marry and have families. But they were slaves and God was not happy that his people were slaves in Egypt. He set them free. A dramatic story, which we're going to look at in a moment. He set them free from Egypt. It really was quite an amazing historical event. This nation of slaves brought out of another nation in one day. A million at least people moving. They go through the Red Sea. Do you remember the story? They get to the border of the Red Sea and the Egyptian soldiers who had been whipping their backs every day saying, make more bricks, make work harder, you mustn't stop working. Those guys suddenly realize we need these guys, we need slave labor. So they started running after them 
and they get, the Israelites get to the border of the Red Sea and there's a, a sea in front of them and an army behind them and they cry out to the Lord, help us Lord! And God opens the Red Sea. They go through and then the Egyptian army chase them and the Red Sea closes on them and all of those soldiers that had enslaved them were destroyed and drowned and they washed up on the shore. And it says that the Israelites on the other side had a dancing and singing party. Hallelujah. Then they went into the wilderness. Now, the journey from the Red Sea to the Promised Land, if you look on a map, it's not a long journey. At the most, if you were walking slowly, it would take you two weeks. But it took them 40 years. God originally said, I'm not going to take them the direct route because they're not ready for war. So he says in Exodus 3.17, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people away around by the way of the wilderness. God said, you're not ready. You're still thinking like slaves. They, they thought they were slaves. They had the wrong understanding of who they were. They, their minds had been programmed wrongly and God had to train them. And so for a period of two years, he led them in the desert. He fed them. He gave them bread called manna. Amazing. They would wake up in the morning and there was bread. As the dew evaporated, there was bread all over the floor and it tasted sweet and beautiful. Imagine that. Imagine your food is just waiting for you every day. As you come out of your, your tent, you rub your, your weary eyes and there's your beautiful wafer pancake honey flavored biscuits. Perfect. He gave them water out of rocks. He gave them quail, you know, beautiful birds to eat when they needed food. He protected them. There were armies that came against them. The Amalekites came and Moses held up his hands with a stick that God had given him. And when he was holding up his hands, then the Israelites defeated the army of the Amalekites. But when his arms got tired and they came down, then the enemy started winning. And God was training them in war and to be his people, his children, his chosen nation. The, the ones that he loves, his precious people who could stand up high with their with their chins lifted up and say, I am a child of the king. He's got promises for me. He's got a promised land for me. And we're going to take this land together with God. All things are possible for God. He had to change them from a slave mindset to a conquering mindset, not arrogant, but just saying, I know who I am in God. And it was a two year process. But something happened when they hit the Jordan River. So, they've come out of slavery, they've gone through the Red Sea, they've gone through the wilderness wanderings for two years, God's ticking off the, the progress and He's saying, yes, 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 yes. They get to the edge of the Red Sea and something goes wrong. Sorry, not the Red Sea, the Jordan Sea, the Jordan River. So, Numbers chapter 13. This is after two years of wandering. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness 
according to the command of the Lord, all of them were heads of the children of Israel. There were 12 of them, and they went out. And they found that the land was good. It was flowing with milk and honey. All the promises that God had made about this land were true. It was lovely. It was fruitful and fertile. It was the perfect place for them. Promises of God. The promised land. You know, in the New Testament, it says that um, God's promises still remain. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, there is still a promise for us. God still has promises for his people, but we must be careful not to be like they were. They didn't mix God's promises with faith. And as a result, they couldn't enter into the promised land. But I'll explain that in a moment. But the promises, the, the milk, each each square foot of land in the promised land corresponds to a promise that God has for you, my dear friend. God has a promised land for you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ. That's us, for us, they are yes. No matter how many promises God has made, for us in Christ, they are yes. We need to be looking for the promises of God and saying, yes, Lord, your promised land, you have something for me. And this is part of this allegory of us wandering through and getting to where God wants us to be. But let's read the story. It's a tragic story. Um, so the 10 spies, 12 spies went out. Two of them said, yes, we can do it. But 10 of them said, no, we can't. The million or two million Israelites were willing to be convinced either way. I want you to imagine this picture. There's Moses and Aaron and Miriam. That's two brothers and a sister. They were like the leaders, the elders, the, the ones that God had chosen to lead the Israelites. And they were saying, yes, we can do this. God has given us this land. We're part, we're on line with God's progress for us. Then there's 12 spies, two of which, Joshua and Caleb, are saying, yes, we can do this. And 10 are saying no. And then there's 2 million people who are watching all this and saying, I'm willing to be convinced. Which way? And the 10 spies gave a bad report. Verse 30 of Numbers 13. Then Caleb, he's one of the good guys, one of the two good spies. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Friend, if you still think of yourself as a slave or what the world tells you you are or what everyone else says or maybe your mom and dad used to say or a teacher or whatever your picture of yourself is, if it's not a picture that comes from God's promises, you will project that picture onto every challenge you come across in life. So, these 10 spies says, we are, we're grasshoppers in our own sight. And that's why they said, and we're grasshoppers in their sight, they are giants, they're stronger than us, we can't overcome them. 
You know, we have to look in a mirror every day to comb our hair and to make sure that our teeth are not got smudges of food on them or whatever it else. We look in the mirror and we say, yes, I look great. And by the way, you all look great except for, no, I'm not going to point jokes. You look great. But if we don't look in this mirror, the Bible is called a mirror. James chapter 1 says, this is the mirror of God's word. If we don't look in this every day and say, God, who do you say that I am? When you come across a challenge, this world tells you you are a grasshopper or whatever small animal you want to pick. You are weak. You're not qualified. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You've got sins and problems that no one else has. There's something wrong with you. You're a grasshopper in your own sight. And when you come across a challenge, if you're not full of God's word and his promises telling you who you are and what you can do, you will project your wrong image onto the situation. And fear will win over faith. Is that a challenge for us? It is for me. Let's read on. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. Have you ever been in one of these situations where there's a, a group dynamic of negativity that seems to whip itself up and pretty soon we are all way overwrought with emotion panic fear sadness and the circumstances don't don't match it have you ever been there you know negativity it's, it can take a life of its own but it just takes one or two people to stand up and say no that's not right and you can change the tide but unfortunately there wasn't enough there was just Joshua and Caleb and Moses, Aaron and Miriam saying the right thing. And the ten spies convinced the people and they worked themselves up into a frenzy, a froth of panic and negativity. And it says, so all the people, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in the wilderness. We start saying irrational things, silly things. When we give in to fear, when we, we're not allowing faith to inform us, we start thinking stupidly. If only I had died. They're on the edge of the promised land with God's power. If they could see in the spiritual realm, there were legions of big angels with them. They could have easily won. God was saying yes. Heaven was saying yes. The power of God was with them. But they're on the edge saying, oh, I wish I'd died. They were completely out of touch with reality of what God thought. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? To fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? They start using hyperbole. These little children are going to die. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let's go back and be slaves again. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation. But Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of this land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. 
we face this choice. We can think of this. Remember that, that verse I read at the beginning says, this happened as an example for us. Friends, we face this choice. I face this choice and you do every single day. When you first wake up and then several times during the day, you are confronted with the option of going with faith in God's promises or fear and the world loves fear. You're not going to have enough. You're going to be sick. You're going to die. This bad thing will happen. This person doesn't like you. Everybody's against you. The future's bad. Whatever it is. And we have the choice every single day. And God is saying, I'm with you. I want to help you through this. So Moses intercedes. God wants to wipe out the people. And Moses says, no, please don't do this. And in verse 21. But truly... Sorry, verse 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times. There were ten other, nine other times where they just complained against God. You know, God gave them manna and they started complaining. They said, we don't like this bread. And there was time after time where they complained against God and against Moses. And it says, they've not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the city. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua. So all the little children who they said, oh, our children are going to get killed. They were the ones who would inherit the promised land. But for 40 years... The nation of Israel wandered around. So, what's the allegory? Are you ready? We're going to go through this now. First of all, I need to ask you, brother or sister, this was written as an example for us. You know, when this was happening, God was thinking of you on this day, in this place, at this time. And he was saying, you are going to hear the story and I want you to get the picture and I want you to make the right choices. It was written as an example for us. So the first thing is slavery. When we're in Egypt, we are slaves to the devil. We may think that this is normal life. We may think the world tells us it's normal to just sin and be in sin and live in sin. And, but we know deep down, I'm made for more than this. I'm feeling the pain of the whipping on my back every day. I know that sin is not good for me, but I feel like I cannot stop. The way you know you're a slave is you say, I can't get out of this pattern of sin. I can't stop thinking negatively. I can't stop being horrible to people. I can't stop abusing myself with different drugs and whatever else. I can't get out of this. And God says, I've made a way. The lamb 
that was slain, they had to take a spotless lamb, a male lamb, a year old, take it into their house, keep it with them for 14 days, and it became dear to them. The children would have loved it, it would have slept on their beds, they would have given it a nickname. And then at the end of 14 days, they had to kill it and put its blood across the top and down the sides of their doorposts. And when the angel, the destroyer, came over, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over your house and you'll be set free from slavery. Can I ask you, brother, sister, friend, have you applied the blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus, to the door of your life? You see, there could have been some Israelites who would have said, yes, I hear all about the blood thing and the lamb thing and all that, but actually it's going to be about me being a good Israelite and keeping all the rules and obeying all the, all the traditions and being the best Israelite I can be. That'll get me safe from the angel of death. And the angel only looked for whether there was blood on the door. Friend, the only way you and I can be saved is if we say, Jesus, I saw you dying on the cross. I wasn't there, but I see it in my heart. I see you dying for me. I see the blood across the cross beam and down the, the vertical beam. And Lord, I apply that blood to my life for me, Lord. Not because I'm good, but I take your blood, Lamb of God. I put your blood on my life. I identify with you. You need to do that. Friend, it's not about being religious and going to church and getting baptized and all the different things. It's about receiving the blood of Jesus on your life. If you haven't done that, I would love to pray with you after the service today. Secondly, they ran away. You know, if they had applied the blood but stayed in their houses, they would have still been slaves the next day. But they ran away from the sin, from the slavery, from the evil, from those demonic forces that were forcing them to do things. You've got to run away from your sin. Are you, have you applied the blood but then stayed in your sin? It's no good then. Amen. We've got to run. Then they went through the Red Sea and 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 3 tells us they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what happened was as they went through the Red Sea, it's a picture of us getting baptized in water we say, Lord, you've forgiven me. You've washed my sins. It's a picture of me getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the cloud. I'm, I'm filled with this Holy Spirit, and He gives me the power to do miraculous things. And I'm baptized into Moses, who's a picture of Jesus, the body of Christ, the, the church. I'm baptized or plunged in water, in the Spirit, and in the church. And as I go through the Red Sea, that's what happens. Have you been baptized? You see, as they went through the Red Sea... They saw those slave-whipping masters drowned and they rejoiced and went on their way. There's a chance if we don't run away and get baptized that those slave masters just keep trying to torment us as Christians. And you need to kill them by saying, I need to get baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit and plugged into a church. And then I'm, I'm free to move on. Have you? It's an allegory. It's a picture. It was written for us. It's not difficult. If you speak to us, we'll baptize you tomorrow. Today, even. Now? Yeah, no. Then they went into the wilderness where God was training them and teaching them. And there is a period of wandering. 
You know, every single person who did anything for the Lord in the Bible had a period of time of obscurity where God was training them for what he had for them. David, uh, Paul, I mean, Jesus, every single one of them, Moses, Joseph, all of them had this period of obscurity, wandering around, getting trained. We need that. We need to learn how to be soldiers for Christ. Get his, get his word in our hearts and, and learn new mindsets and new ways of thinking. We need it. But now my challenge is this. Friends, I fear that many of us, that wandering time should have ended. And we're still in the wilderness. And God's got great things for you. You say to me, Greg, how do I know whether I am in the wilderness or whether I'm in the promised land? How can I tell? You see, in the wilderness, you still get blessed and protected. You still get led by the pillar of cloud. You still get fed and provided for. Your shoes and your clothes never wear out. The Lord heals you and looks after you. The problem is you're aimless. You're in the same place you were two years ago, five years ago. You're not progressing in Christ. And the battles that they fought in the wilderness against the Amalekites and various others did not gain them territory. They just fought a battle and then moved through and moved to the next place and fought another battle. The wars you fight in the wilderness do not make you stronger and closer to the Lord. It's just like one battle after the next with no perceived benefit. But when you're in the promised land, every battle you win gains you territory. You become stronger in the Lord and you can help other people and it grows you to do more things for the Lord. In the promised land, we're fighting based on the promises that God has given us. We're saying, this is God's promise, and I'm claiming it, I'm fighting for it. And there's a sense of, together with the Lord, we're working this thing through. But when I'm in the wilderness, it's like, what's, what's this all about? Confusion. Haven't, haven't I been around this mountain once before? Does anyone ever feel like that? Haven't I gone through this issue before? It was another person, another church, another relationship. But I feel like I'm just dealing with the same issues again and again and again in my life. Why? It's because we need to move through into the promised land. And the way we do that is we say, preferably with a group of other believers, which is what Joshua's generation were. They said, we are going to be the ones of faith. Amen? We're not going to let fear dominate us. We're not going to let the grumbly guts complainers pull us off track. We're going to say God is with us and we are well able. We're going to know God's word enough that when this enemy complaining negativity comes, we say, but I know who I believed in. And we move on. We move forward. There's direction. There's purpose. We say, I will not let fear dominate my life. And it's a decision. You know, the Jordan River, I'm going to close with this now. The Jordan River, as they went into the promised land, you know when the Jordan started to separate? They're standing in front of the Jordan River. God says the promised land is there. They can see it. They can smell it. They're so close. And he says, you've just got to walk through this river. The river did not part until their feet touched it. We've got to step out. We've got to say, I'm doing this. We've heard people testify today about finances and giving. And it's not just finances. It's in every area of our Christian life. We say, I will not let fear and negativity and crowd mentality pull me down. I'm going to go for this. 
I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to close by reading what happened to Caleb. So we heard about Caleb earlier, and now in Joshua 14, verse 10. This is 40 years later, after they've wandered around for 40 years, and everything that was of fear and doubt has died, and it's only faith that's left now. This is what happens. Caleb says in Joshua 14, verse 10, And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. So what are you imagining in your mind? This little old man with a walking stick? And here I am. No. And yet I am as strong this day as on that day when Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is now is my strength for war. Now, therefore, he's speaking to Joshua, give me this mountain. Which mountain is that? It's the mountain with the biggest giants on. <laughs> Caleb says, which place has got the biggest giants? I'm 85 years old, but I've been waiting 40 years for this. Which one is the biggest giants? Give me that one. And then the next chapter, 15, verse 14, it says, Caleb then drove out the sons of Anak there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Those were the giants. And he took the land. Friends, let's just decide today. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10, these things happened and were written down for us. God was thinking of you when all this was written down and when all this was happening. And he was saying, my dear child, it's not a mistake that you've heard this message today. It's not a mistake that everything has conspired to bring you to this time and this place because I've got a message for you. It's an allegory. Either get out of slavery, get through the Red Sea, move through the wilderness, let's get into the promised land, but let's move on. Let's move on. And all you've got to do today, and all I have to do, is make a decision and say, yes, Lord, I'm one of the children of faith. I will not let fear and negativity pull me down. And I'm stepping out. And in the moment we'll pray and the Lord will show you one or maybe several areas where you need to say, I'm done with fear. I'm trusting God's promises. I'm going to look at his mirror every day and I'm moving forward in faith. Just pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me to this time and to this place, and for showing me this allegory, this picture of my Christian life. Lord Jesus, please would you show me right now which areas of my life I need to change to make sure that I move on in this story. Please help me, Lord, not to be stuck in Egypt in slavery, not to be stuck in the wilderness going round and round. Please help me, Lord, to move through. And I ask you now to show me, Lord, Areas in my life which need to change. Perhaps it's I need to read his promises more and get his promises in my heart. Perhaps I need to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what do you see me as? Not what do I see myself as? Perhaps I need to choose to actively get rid of fear and negativity from my own life. Or maybe it's negative people. You need to say, I will not listen to that anymore. Or perhaps it's just a step of obedience. The Lord is telling you to step out and do something. Witness for Him. Pray for people for healing. Give finances. Uh, get stuck into church serving. Whatever it is, you say, I'm going to take that step today.
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you don't bring us to this place without giving us all the power that we need to cross the Jordan. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.